Hi, this is Jonathan Clements, Director of Financial Education at Creative Planning. I'm in Philadelphia. With me is Peter Malouk, President of the firm. He's at Creative Planning's headquarters in Overland Park, Kansas, and we are down the middle. Peter, we get to the end of every year and we say, wow, it's been an extraordinary year. But 2020 really has been an extraordinary year. And we look back at what's happened in the financial markets. We had this 34% decline by the S&P 500, and this astonishing rally. And even now, as we head into the final month of the year, the market is still going up. When you look back at 2020, what are the aspects of managing money that have been re-emphasized for you more than anything else? What are, the, what are the highlights of the year from a point of view of learning about the markets and learning about money? I think that one of the philosophies of creative planning is that we're betting on the economy over the long run. We're not betting on specific stock, how it's going to do in the next 30 days. We're not, we're not putting 20% of the portfolio in one industry and hoping it happens to rotate in and into favor at the right time for a three-year period. We're betting on progress across the markets and have a very strong conviction that that tends to work out. We don't know which markets at which times, which is why you have diversification. But what the one of the benefits of this approach is when you're diversified and you're going through a crisis, whether it's 9-11 or the tech bubble or 809 or now the pandemic, you know certain sectors are going to come out earlier than others, but that the market itself is going to find a way. And I think that the, the big reaffirming lesson of this year is markets are more resilient than people think. Everyone thinks the economy is so fragile. You know, everyone, whether it's a terrorist event or a pandemic or whatever, that somehow we're just going to stop going to Walmart for good. You know, and it's just not how the human condition works. It's not how the economic system works. And this myth of the market going up and down, it doesn't. It goes up with breaks. Sometimes they're long breaks. Sometimes they're breaks that really hurt. But the market has a very forceful upward bias. And when you fight it, you tend to lose. And I think when you look at the pandemic, it was an average bear market in terms of percentage. It was the pandemic was a 34% drop around March 24th, which 34% happens to be the average of a bear market. What was unique here is two things. One, we got to that 34% drop faster than any time previously in history. And two, we all had all kinds of time to watch it because we were at home. And I guess we just throw in three. We all thought, you know, a lot of people were going to die. A lot of people have died, but the projections early on of 3 million plus uh, Americans, for example, that were coming out when we didn't know the mortality rate and didn't know a lot about this virus. It was, it was horrific. But no matter how horrific it is, the reality is we have a, a bias of operating in an open economy. And the question wasn't if we would recover, but how much carnage there would be and how long it would take to recover. And it really just burned people that tried to time it, time it or panicked. I think you're actually right. One of the things that was emphasized to me by 2020 is the value of doubt. And that is doubt in your ability to anticipate the future, the ability to guess which way the broad market is going, to guess which sectors of the market are going to do well. I mean, sure, there are certain things that you should not have doubt about. You should not have doubt that holding down investment costs is a good idea. You shouldn't have doubt that managing taxes is a good idea, that diversification is a good idea, that stocks are going to triumph over the long run. But you should have doubt about your ability to forecast what's going to happen in the weeks and months ahead. And 
the people who got most badly burned in 2020 were those people who had really strong convictions about which sectors uh, were going to soar or sink and what was going to happen in the broad market. Having doubt turned out to be an enormously valuable quality in 2020. Yep. I agree. And I mean, another reaffirming thing for me uh, in 2020 was that people are poisoned by this abundance of information. I mean, so one one great thing is we 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 have so much with when you know, obviously when we were younger, there were like three TV shows to watch. You know, it was ABC, NBC, CBS. You got your news. It was a 30 minute increment and then the paper the next morning. And then that was it. Well, now it's around the clock, nonstop, all over social media and all these different outlets. And we have more information, but I am convinced less knowledge, right? We just are not, people don't have a filter for this stuff. And a big key to success with investing, and I've been saying this for over 20 years, is to know how to filter out the noise. And what's really changed in the last decade, and just basically throw out the invention of the iPhone, right? Um, About a dozen or so years ago, that really changed, that opened up social media in a way where we have this abundance of information, this abundance of noise that's harder to filter out. And I see it with every election cycle. Uh, when um, you know President Obama won, all these people told me they were gonna move overseas and they, some couple people went to cash. When President Trump won, people told me they're gonna move overseas. Some people went to cash. Um, and now I've saw more people go to cash, you know, anticipating a Biden win than ever before. And what a mistake. What a mistake. I mean, the markets had, I don't know if it's going to be, it it was its best November ever or one of its best Novembers ever. Huge rally leading up to and post-election. Markets get past whoever's in office. I don't know how many newsletters, you know, I can write every election for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to write this same newsletter and just replace whether it's a Republican or Democrat in there. The people overestimate the influence that a president has on economics. They do have influence, you can't say they don't. They do influence fiscal policy, tax policy, but it is one of many, many, many factors that people tend to overstate because it's such a big proportion of their news. And I I am just, social media, cable news, it's absolute poison if you don't know how to filter out uh, what you need to filter out to make, to make good decisions. And I think I saw that this year more than I've ever seen in my career. And because of social media and because there are so many news channels available to us, we can essentially opt in to the narrative that we find most compelling. And that's not just in a political sense, it can also be in a market sense. So if you're nervous about the market, you can find plenty of people to reaffirm that belief. And if you're bullish, exactly the same thing. And so this is one of the things that's really hammered home for me in 2020, which is this notion that risk tolerance is not stable. The number of people I heard from who came into 2020 and said, I'm 100% stocks, I'm big and brave, I can ride out any market decline, you know, and five weeks later, they were in the corner of the room, <laughs> in the fetal position, whimpering quietly and sitting in cash. People yeah. do not understand their risk tolerance and social media only makes it worse because it fuels all of their fears. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You know, if you cannot get this done on your own, you need to find somebody to hold your hand. It can be a colleague, hopefully, you know, the human resources won't mind that. It can be a financial <laughs> advisor, whoever it is, you need somebody to hold your hand through these market declines so you don't make panicky decisions. 
Yeah, and I and I would say that you know neither of us want to belittle what happened this year. I mean, it was truly, really horrific on many levels, uh, particularly in March uh, of this year. I had two advisors, interestingly, both of them uh, men that had been in the business for over twenty years, that were in in tears. In, in tears on the phone talking to me about the stress that they were feeling that they were under. Part of it was watching the markets. Part of it was absorbing that stress from clients that were, were panicked. I mean, the fear was palpable. Um, but I think that it's a great lesson. You really try to need to reflect as an investor on how you got through my, if you did not sleep for a week thinking about your portfolio, Fine if you're thinking about your health, but if you were worried about if you were losing sleep over your portfolio, you're in the wrong allocation. The time to measure that is when you're going down the hill on the roller coaster, not a week afterwards when your memory gets all fuzzy and you forget. Really try to take a snapshot of, of your feelings and your behavior so that you can make an adjustment because that's the real lesson. You can't get it from a questionnaire. You've got to get it from real life. The market is going to give you that that opportunity every couple of years, um, but you really want to try to correct you know, after the market's recovered based on how you felt going through it. So, Peter, before we move on to our next topic, I just want to mention one other thing about 2020, and it should be a reason that people are optimistic about the future. You think about what the world looked like in late March and through February, and you think about where we are today, the human perseverance, the human ingenuity that we have seen this year, the fact that every day people around the world get up and say to themselves, how can I make my life better? And that drives them to set out to improve their lot in life. And when they improve their lot in life, it improves the lot for the rest of us. And I'm not just thinking about the pharmaceutical companies and the heroic work they've done in terms of developing vaccines. I think about you know, mom and pop business owners, restaurants, everybody trying to figure out how to keep going through this extraordinarily difficult period. And in the years ahead, when you get worried about the economy and you get worried about the stock market, remember how people respond to this situation. And I'm not saying there weren't a lot of missteps this year and the way we handled the virus and so on, but the perseverance and the ingenuity have really been remarkably impressive. And people should take heart from that. They should really make them more optimistic about the future. So Peter, we've been through 11 months of 2020. We have one month to go. What can people do in the final month of 2020 to improve their financial well-being? What would you suggest that people think about doing? Well, I think that you, this is a great time to revisit your allocation. So the markets are, are resilient, many asset classes have recovered. And the in particular, in the allocation, look at your your amount that you have in bonds versus stocks. So there's a lot of other decisions that happen in a portfolio, whether the stocks are US or international, whether they're big or they're small. These things all have some implications, but they're not as significant as the difference between the three big groups of asset classes, stocks, bonds, and alternatives. Bond yields dropped a lot this year. So we have, you know, most people know mortgage, mortgage rates are at all-time lows. That's because interest rates are at all-time lows and bonds are tied to interest rates. And so if you buy a bond, you're getting a very, very low yield now. If you loan money to the federal government for 10 years, you're going to get less than 1%. This is a time to basically look at that allocation and say, do I need this much in bonds? You know, creative planning when we're building plans for clients, we like them to have enough to get through five years, seven years, sometimes more. But once you get beyond that, those bonds are really 
have a very high probability of dragging down your return over time. So see if you can get comfortable pulling back on those and going to alternative investments. If you're higher net worth and willing to deal with some complexity or to stocks, um, if you're willing to deal with a little bit more volatility, this comes back to the risk question. Um, but bonds are not very likely not going to do what they did in the past 10 or 20 years. Uh, it would be almost uh, it would be a mathematical miracle for them to do it for the next 10 to 20 years. And so that's, to me, the biggest thing you can do to impact your financial well-being over the next decade. So as we approach the end of the year, when a lot of people traditionally rebalance back to their target percentages of stocks, bonds and other asset classes, maybe you want to be rethinking those percentages and potentially allocating more to stocks and less to bonds, assuming, of course, that you have the risk tolerance to go with that. One other thing I would think people might toy with doing, particularly if they're, they're self-employed, um, which more and more of us are working in the gig economy, and you're thinking about, you know, do I want to be, say, buying a new computer this year? Do I want to be rushing to bill clients before year end to get in that extra income? And what you might want to do is think about what your income is going to look like this year and what it potentially will look like next year. If you've had a really good this year, this year, maybe this is the year when you buy the new computer. If it's been a really good year this year, maybe you hold off billing clients until January so that, that income hits 2020's income tax return. This is a great opportunity for people who are self-employed to manage their taxable income. And I don't think people give nearly enough thought to it. And similarly, you know, if you're a retiree um, and you have a lot of flexibility over your income, you know, you think you can think about is my taxable income in 2020 going to be relatively low? Maybe I should do a Roth conversion. You know, maybe it's been a really good year, in which case you want to push off something like a Roth Roth conversion or taking capital gains until 2021. What about what about other things that people should be thinking about before year end, Peter? Well, I think that this is not going to be a planning tip, but it comes back to what you were talking about in terms of you know people's resiliency. I think that a big takeaway for people should be reframing the way they think about the world. I mean, decades ago, people said we we're going to run out of food, but we invented ways to create more food with less land, right? And that turns out that wasn't a problem. Uh, human ingenuity resolved that. There was a very famous book, Peak Oil. We're going to run out of oil and the world's going to fall apart. Um, Turns out uh, technology allowed us to find more oil and technology allowed us to extract oil that we didn't think we could extract before. And technology made us less dependent on oil. So it turns out that's not a problem. Uh, In March and April, the smartest people in the world, the people we're supposed to be listening to, told us, there been never, never been a, a coronavirus vaccine. And so we, we may very well not get one or it might be five or 10 years. And here we are within months. We have three of them that have been approved. So look, we don't want to get ourselves into a bunch of crises as, as in mankind and hope that human ingenuity finds a way out. But the reality is what drives markets, and I talk about this all the time, is technology and innovation. And we are living in an, an era that will be people will be reading about centuries from now. And I think we can appreciate that simple fact. It will make us better investors. It'll just give us the confidence we need to get through the next crisis. Because if somebody's listening and they're 60, there's going to be five or six more crises uh, in your investing life. So keep that at the forefront uh, instead of maybe every, that drumbeat of negativity coming through social media, cable news, and everywhere else. 
And one last thing to think about before year end, a lot of people at year end make charitable contributions. And this year, more than ever, it's a great thing to do. Even while the economy has shown remarkable resilience, there are a lot of people out there suffering. If you can afford to open up your wallet and make a charitable contribution, this would be a great year to do that. If you think that you're not going to be able to itemize your deductions because your contribution is relatively small. Maybe you want to make a big contribution this year and count it for both 2020 and 2021. And I'm sure you do this for lots of clients, Peter. You know, also think about setting up a donor advised fund. That way you could make a large charitable contribution today, get the tax deduction, and then dole it out this year and perhaps into early next year as you identify the charities you really want to support. Yeah, I'm a very big fan of donor advised funds. And, you know, when you set, you still have time between now and the end of the year to set one of those up quickly, get with your financial advisor or CPA and figure out the right amount to transfer over there. And like you said, Jonathan, pre-funding the future. If you're giving 5,000 a year away for the next 10 years and you can get a bigger break this year by giving all 50 away this year, move the 50 to your donor advised fund. It's the amount you were going to give away anyway, but you might get a bigger break um, if you get the right advice. Peter, it's our final podcast of 2020, and you all, you know what's coming next. My final question to you, what is your tip of the month? So every year, the we, we talked about one of the things you're allowed to do to avoid estate tax. You can give money. Anything you give to charity is not subject to estate tax. But the other thing is anything you don't own when you die isn't subject to it either. And so a lot of people like to give away money, and the, and the government has a limit on that. Right now, it happens to be $15,000, but it expires at the end of the year. If you don't give it away this year, you don't get to add it to what you give away next year. So think about the gifts that you want to make and and you've got another 30, uh, 31 days uh, to make them. Good, good idea, Peter. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take gifts. <laughs> you can give them to as many people as you like. That's right. A lot of people think it can only be to family, but you can actually give it to anybody you want. Yeah. Now, that may not be allowed under securities laws yeah. to me. But anyway, <laughs> um, my tip of the month Take a moment, go through your uh, latest bank statements, go through your credit card statements, see what regular monthly deductions are coming out of your bank account, getting hit on your credit cards. It might be things for streaming services. It might be for special cable packages, gym memberships, subscriptions for apps, subscriptions for magazines. A lot of people sign up for these regular monthly or annual deductions for services they no longer use. So go through, find out which ones you aren't using, and hey, pick up the phone and cancel them if you can. So that's it for us, Peter. That's the end of our final podcast of 2020. I'm Jonathan Clemens. With me is Peter Malouf, President of Creative Planning, and we are Down the Middle. This commentary is provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Past performance of any market results is no assurance of future performance. The information contained herein has been obtained from sources deemed reliable but is not guaranteed.